Hello, and welcome to episode 114 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Melanie H. and Amilcar B. to The Modern Manager community. I am so glad that you have joined us. We've got some interesting conversations started in the members-only Slack group, so I'm excited for you to jump into those. We've got topics going like the challenges of working from home while parenting, how to stay in relationship as a team while working virtually, and how to know when someone is ready for a promotion. You can join these conversations when you become a member, starting at just $2 per month. Head to themodernmanager.com join to learn more. Today's guest is Ryan Godfordson. Ryan is a mental success coach and a cutting-edge leadership consultant, author, trainer, and researcher. He is the author of Success Mindsets, the key to unlocking greater success in your life, work, and leadership. And he is a leadership professor at Cal State Fullerton. He has a PhD in organizational behavior and human resources from Indiana University. Ryan and I talk about what mindsets are and how they impact us as managers. We talk about the four typical manager mindsets that might actually be holding you back and how vulnerability comes into play, and of course, how to begin to shift your mindset. You will also hear me talk about the book that I am working on, so if you want to help me make progress on it, you can sign up to be interviewed to share your experience working for an amazing manager. A shout out quickly to my listener, Nick S., who I spoke with last week. Thank you again for sharing your story and helping me write my book. To learn more about the book and schedule an interview, go to managerialgreatness.com. Now, here is my conversation with Ryan. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Ryan, it is such a pleasure to have you today on the show. I'm excited to talk to you because I was just reading your book and I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything that I talk about with my clients. And I'm so happy that you're now going to share all your wisdom and your insights with my audience. Uh, I love it. Thanks for reading my book. Really appreciate it. Of course, of course. Okay, so let's just jump right in and talk about mindsets because you say that the mindset that you have is the foundation to everything and I completely agree, but can you say more about what a mindset is and how and why it's so impactful? Yes, for sure. So our mindsets are the mental lenses that we wear and they shape how we see the world around us and how we see the world around us shapes how we think how we learn and how we behave and consequently how successful that we are. Can I give you a a quick example that demonstrates that? Yeah, of course. Okay, so this to me was a a life changer and I think we can apply it within a management context, but I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but for most of my adult life, I didn't view homeless people in the most favorable way. And I live in Southern California and apparently half of the U.S.'s homeless population is in Southern California. And so what that means is that when I drive to work, it's not uncommon for me to drive past an intersection where there's somebody there asking for some form of assistance. And for most of my adult life, I would see them as not doing their best. And when I would see them as not doing their best, I was rather quick to be critical of them. I would think to myself, what are you what are you doing? You're just standing here asking me for help when you could be doing something more than just standing here. Maybe go get a job. 
would be something that I would think. And then as I'm thinking rather, rather critically of them, what's my likelihood that I'm going to help them or to navigate that situation in its most productive way? Well, it's, it's pretty low. But I was reading a book by Brene Brown called Daring Greatly, and, and she inspired me through that book to ask the question and, and to evaluate, what if I saw them as doing the best that they can? And when I tried to do that, then I was left asking a question, which was, what in the world has happened in their life that has led them to believe that this is the best way to live? And immediately upon asking that, I would grow empathetic, wondering what has gone on in their background. And with that empathy, I was much more likely to help them and support them and to at least navigate that situation in a more productive way. So this is an example of a mindset where depending upon how I see that person, whether they're not doing their best or whether they're doing their best, shapes how I think about them and how I behave towards them and how successfully I navigate that environment. So a quick question we can ask ourselves is if we're a manager, how do we see our people? as not doing their best or as doing their best. And that's going to undergird our leadership and our management of them. I love that example. And I think it's so on point for how we as managers look at our teams. And I know that there are times where I have looked at colleagues and thought like, wow, you're just like, you're not trying. I just don't understand. Like you're just not even giving it what you should. But if I reverse that and say, you know, what's going on that this is what the person is delivering, right? If I assume that they have good intentions and that they're doing their best, now it makes me ask, what have I not done? Or what can I do? Or what's going on for that person? And I I love that because it puts us into a mode of curiosity instead of a mode of judgment. For sure. And it could go both ways, right? So let me give you another example of how this can impact us as managers. So, and I'm not sure if you're very familiar with football, but there was a, a coach, the New York Giants, his name was Tom Coughlin, and he was rather successful with the New York Giants. He won two Super Bowls, and then upon kind of retiring with the New York Giants, he took the position as president of operations for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Jacksonville Jaguars have historically been a poor football team, and so I think that we've got to imagine that he was stepping into this larger role within this new football team with the purpose of having a positive impact on the team and leaving a lasting legacy for himself. But two and a half years into his tenure, the NFL Players Association came out with a report. And in this report, they said, the NFL players for the Jacksonville Jaguars represent 3% of the NFL. Yet, over the past year, 25% of NFL player complaints have come from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they, they attributed the majority of these complaints to policies and procedures that Tom Coughlin had implemented. And I find that this, this situation is so interesting because, and also representative of what I often see when I work with leaders in organizations, is I think every leader steps into a leader or management role and they want to do their best. And oftentimes they think that they are doing their best. But statistics around employees' experiences with their managers suggest that what employees receive from their manager is far from ideal. So for example, 60% of employees say that their direct manager damages their self-esteem. And so oftentimes what's going on even within leaders is they've got really good intentions, but simultaneously they've got mindsets and a lack of awareness about their mindsets 
that are holding them back from being the positive influence that they want to be. That statistic is crazy. 60% of employees say that their manager is damaging their self-esteem. Like that's just horrific. So why, why are we doing that to our people? Like how did we get these mindsets that are so terrible or what are some of these mindsets that are leading us down the wrong path? Yeah, great question. And let me give you four desires and maybe tell me if you think that society says that these are good or bad desires to have. Is that okay? All right, let's try it. Okay. We got a desire to look good, a desire to be right, a desire to avoid problems, and a desire to get ahead. So I would say in American society, those are probably all things that we would promote. And don't you feel like even managers feel the pressure to have these desires to look good, be right, avoid problems, and get ahead? From a traditional perspective, absolutely. What do I think is a little different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and I want to get to what you think because, I mean, we're just socially incentivized to have these desires because as as we look at the flip side of these, who wants to look bad, be wrong, have problems and get passed up? Well, nobody. And so when we have these desires, we're really justified in these desires. But let's ask the question, which is probably what you're thinking is, Where is the focus or where is our focus when we have these desires? Exactly, right? It's all about us rather than our team or the outcome that we're striving towards. Precisely. And so when we've got these self, I'm going to call them self-protecting desires, we're so focused on ourselves and doing what's best for us that we become just less sensitive and attuned to those people that we are leading. And so when when an employee says that my manager damaged their self-esteem, well, it's likely because that manager did some things that serve that manager's best interest and they put their own best interests ahead of those that they led. Now, now that's a very complex theme, but we're trying to kind of simplify this. And one of the things that we need to recognize is each of these four desires that we identified are associated and founded upon a negative mindset. So, in my work, what I've done is I've, I've scoured the academic literature to identify what mindsets are out there and what mindsets we need to, be, to have to be successful. And what I found is that there's four different sets of mindsets that have been researched over the last 30 years. And they've been researched in relative isolation from each other. And so what I've done is I've pulled together these four sets of mindsets into one framework and And each of these sets of mindsets range on a continuum from negative to positive. And the four desires that I identified are attached to the four negative mindsets. So fixed, closed, prevention, and inward. And so what we need to do as managers is we need to awaken to these desires that we have and their associated mindsets. And we need to be able to see better options in terms of desires and mindsets. And so On the positive side, rather than having a desire to look good, we should have a desire to learn and grow, which may mean that we have to look bad in certain circumstances because we learn a lot through failure. Instead of wanting to be right, we should want to find truth and think optimally, which may mean that we have to be wrong. And instead of wanting to avoid problems, we should seek to reach our goals which may mean wading through some problems in order to get there. And instead of wanting to get ahead, we should want to lift others, which may mean that we have to put ourselves on the back burner for a moment or two. 
And as we make these shifts from these negative desires to the positive desires, we're starting to develop the more positive mindsets, which are growth, open, promotion, and outward. Does that make sense? I, I feel like it would be better if we had a visual in front of us, but hopefully I, I communicated that clearly. I thought it was super clear and so simple and so beautifully said. I mean, like this is exactly the stuff that I love talking about because it's so obvious, right? When you start to look at these as a comparison between being closed and opening, like, of course, you if you're right all the time, you can't be open to learning and growing and taking risks and and looking back. Like it, they're just, they're in opposition with each other. So the way that you've set this up with these kind of dichotomies makes so much sense. And now actually for myself, I'm like, yes, of course I want to learn. Of course I want to grow. Like, and if that means I have to look battle on the way, okay, I can live with that, which I know for some people will be harder to accept than for others. But when you know what you're striving towards, it, I feel like it makes the other more natural instincts a little bit easier to, um, to put aside. Does that make sense? For sure. In fact, one of the things that I'll point out here is in order to do some of this work, you as a manager and a leader have got to get to a place where you're willing to be vulnerable because you've got to become willing to at times look bad, be wrong, have problems and get passed up. Like you just got to mentally be there. But what happens is when we do have this vulnerability, we are able to create a psychologically safe work environment. And when we can do that for our people, then they don't feel like they have to self-protect themselves. And they're going to be more likely to operate much more effectively. And so a lot of times when managers can't sit with some of the vulnerability with this, then they develop the command and control style of leadership. And the people around them end up, I mean, they'll do what it takes to not get fired, but internally they're withering. And what I think what you're probably seeing and what I'm seeing is we are seeing a shift in leadership and management approach away from this command and control style of leadership to more of the empowering servant leader type style of leadership. And I mean, it's easier said than done, but it requires this element of vulnerability Uh, because it creates that environment of psychological safety. Well, and to your point, being easier said than done, I've seen tons of people say they're going to do it and kind of go through the motions, but inside they haven't actually made that mindset shift. And so they're kind of starting down one path and then all of their follow-up behaviors are like pulling back into the other way, right? And they end up kind of revisiting decisions, right? Or kind of redoing somebody's work or taking back some of the authority and the power or micromanaging because they're, they haven't yet really understood what it means to give over and be vulnerable. Yeah. So they haven't had a tool to be able to investigate some of this vulnerability. And so I've developed an exercise that I, I use with managers and with teams. And maybe if you're feeling a little bit vulnerable, maybe I could walk you through this exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, So I've got four questions that we're going to walk through, and this is something that we could use to really get deep within some of our vulnerabilities, but also in a way that I think is safe. When I do this with teams, teams just, they feel like, oh my goodness, we've been trying to transform our team for so many years, and it's not until this exercise that we feel like we actually know each other and that we're on the same page. And so if you happen to be a manager that there's a lot of resistance in the team, then this, I think, would be a great exercise for your team. So here's the first question, Mamie. It is, 
I want you to identify a goal that is meaningful for you and something that you have control over. So this is if essentially if I'm a genie and I could grant you one wish, what would it be? And you, I, I'm assuming you want me to share it now. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So I want to write another book. Okay, great. So that's a perfect goal. Okay, so then the next question is, what are you currently doing or not doing that is preventing you from writing your next book? Ooh, so currently doing, I am starting to work with a research professional to help me frame out the questions and the interview protocols and the process for doing the research. And things that I am not doing is basically everything else that I'm supposed to be doing to move forward. Okay. So one of the things that I, let me make sure I understood you. So you're engaging in a bunch of research that's taking you away from writing. That's one of the doings. Is that? Yeah. And I would say that I am avoiding actually putting down anything on paper until I've done the research because I'm, and I'll be really vulnerable here. Like I am scared that all the thoughts and ideas that I have for this book are not going to be what the research says. Like I feel like I know what I want to write about, but I want to have research that backs up all these ideas. And so I don't want to waste my time writing to find out that the research says something else. And I definitely don't want to write things and then have them be wrong and then publish something that's not accurate. Okay. Love it. And you're a pro at this because you're already jumping into the next question, but <laughs> which is fine. I just want to clarify something. So let's just say, which this is a great example and we're going to play off of this example, but we could probably, if we spent some time with this, come up with a list of five to 10 doings or not doings that is preventing you from writing your book. So for just for example, I'm not saying this is you, but maybe you're, you're sleeping in as opposed to getting up early to write, right? So that could be a doing that somebody could identify. And then, and so we would come up with this list of doings and not doings, and we'll, we'll piggyback off of what you talked about in terms of research. And then the third question is, why are you doing or not doing these things? And so what I heard you say in terms of answering this question is, and this is where our mind first goes, is, is towards fears, right? So you said, I'm scared that the data may not turn up and support my ideas that I'm wanting to promote in the book. Is that, did I capture that okay? 100%. Okay. So that's a fear that is going on. And then what we've got to identify is we've got to identify an associated commitment that is associated with that fear. And so let, let me just kind of back up and give you an example of my daughter. So my daughter came to me one day and she said, I want to learn how to ice skate. And so I took over to the ice skating rink. So that was her goal, learning how to ice skate. And then we got her on the ice and she just, for the next hour and a half, just hugged the wall and shuffled around the rink. And I couldn't get her away from the wall. I was kind of wanting her to be a little bit more exploratory, take some risks, and she just wouldn't do it. So some of her doings and not doings was she was hugging the wall and she wasn't taking risks. Well, then we get to this third question of, well, why were you hugging the wall and, and not taking risks? The very things that are preventing you from reaching your goal. Well, if she would answer, you know, if I were to ask her this, she would say, well, I was afraid of falling and I was afraid of getting hurt. So that's the fear. But then there's an associative commitment to that. And that commitment is she wants to ensure her safety. So for your fear of around 
you're fearful of, of kind of the data not playing out, there's a commitment that you have that is kind of towards in some, well, maybe let me, I won't guess at your commitment. Any commitment that comes to mind associated with that fear? Well, there's probably two. One is, you know, reputation, right? Protecting my reputation as a thought leader and as Mm -hmm. an expert. And probably second, related to where we started with on the desire to be right, right? Like there's something that's really scary about this the idea that like all of these thoughts, all this experience I've had is actually not accurate. And that that questions my whole being and all of the work that I do if it turns out that everything I'm teaching and coaching on isn't correct. Great. Love it. So that's a perfect commitment. So we're, we are committed in a way, and I'm simplifying this a little bit, right? There's a lot of depth to that, but we're committed to being right. And one of the things that is going on when we identify these fears and commitments is there's oftentimes these underlying assumptions that we're holding. And for example, your assumption might be, if this data doesn't come out the way I want it to, then maybe I will be seen as a fraud to a certain degree. Well, let's say the data doesn't come out that way. Well, you may not be seen as a fraud. Some people, you know, some people may see you that way, but others may not. So that's kind of the third question as we dive into the fears, commitments, and assumptions that are going on. Then the fourth question is what mindset is underlying these fears, commitments, and assumptions? And in this case, it would be probably, and I'm not saying you're closed-minded as a whole, but in this particular circumstance, it seems you have a bit of a closed mindset because you're wanting, you're, you're more focused on being right than on finding truth and thinking optimal. And so at the end of the day, if we, if we could loosen our grip on our commitment to be right, we could be more focused on our commitment to find truth. And if that means you have to admit that you're wrong and shift gears, like some people would see that as being, that would be demoralizing. Like that would be the end of what I've been doing. Other people would say, what a great opportunity to reinvent myself and align myself closer to truth. Uh, does that make sense? It does. And I love it. And so as a manager and also all of our employees, we've got, if things aren't going smoothly, we've got fears, commitments, and assumptions that are, are throwing up these blocks and this resistance. And until we can get at those and, identifying the, and identify the underlying mindset, those are going to continue to wreak havoc on whatever it is that we're doing. You see, we've got one foot on the gas, and that's our goal, but we've also got one foot on the brake, and that's this commitment that you've identified. And so what we need to do is we need to develop the capability of pulling our foot off of that commitment, letting go of some of these unfounded commitments and beliefs that are attached to these negative mindsets. And so if we can awaken to all of this, then we become empowered to shift our mindsets and then allow ourselves to make the progress that we're really seeking to obtain. So how do I become more aware of where I'm holding myself back because of a mindset? Or if I, so I guess part of it is as an individual, how do I do this for myself? And then the second part of the question is, as a manager, if I think that one of my team members is kind of having that gas break conflict internally, that's holding them back. How do I talk to them about and help them become more self-aware? I love the question because really what you're talking about is how do we ourselves become more mindful and how do we help our people become more mindful? And 
mindfulness, at least one aspect of mindfulness, is we enhance our ability to look at what we typically look through. So our mindsets are what we typically look through. And these ingrained in these mindsets, as we mentioned, are these fears, commitments, and assumptions. And we need to be able to develop the ability to step back and investigate these mindsets and their associated fears, commitments, and assumptions. And so there's, there's two things that I, well, maybe I'll recommend three things for this. One is this exercise that we went through. Just by asking these four questions, it helps us drill down. And we could do this on our own, and we could do this with our team members. So I've done this on my own, and I feel like in my past, when I was a manager, one of the things that I was doing was I was micromanaging my people. Well, when I asked myself, why am I micromanaging? Then I was able to identify, well, I'm afraid of looking bad in front of others, and particularly my superiors. And I was concerned about getting ahead because I didn't want, I wanted my people to make me look good. And so by going through this process, identifying what I was doing, why I was doing it, then I could uncover my underlying mindsets, which at the time is I had a fixed and an inward mindset. And then I could learn about these different mindsets. So we could do this exercise. We could deepen our knowledge about these mindsets. And that's where my book, Success Mindsets, comes in. And then as a, a third thing that we could do is I've got a free personal mindset assessment that is available to anybody on my website at ryangottbertson.com. And it helps people identify the quality of their mindsets across each of these four continuums. And, and I've had about 10,000 people take this mindset assessment. And only 5% of people are in the top quartile for the four positive mindsets. So it suggests that most of us have some work to do. So all three of these things together, the exercise, the book, and the assessment, I think will hopefully help us hone in on the things that we need to discover and as a whole, improve our mindfulness. So we're going to shift gears here because we are coming to the end of our time together. And I do want to just give a quick shout out to both the book and the assessment, both of which I have, well, I've done the assessment and I'm partway through the book and I am loving both of them and I found them both great resources. So definitely recommend people check those out. But in our last couple of minutes together now, can you tell us about a great manager that you had the experience of working with and what made that person such an awesome boss? Yeah, thanks for asking. I had a manager during my, it was a summer internship during my undergrad program when I worked with Stryker and I was an HR intern and I came in at the same time as a full-time employee, but we had essentially the same responsibilities. And Stryker is a big, they use all of Gallup's tools. And so they, day one, I took the Clifton Strength Finder assessment and I was given the book First Break All the Rules. And so my manager had really bought into those philosophies around honing in on individual strengths and, and maximizing those. And over that summer, I had the most incredible experience with that manager because she identified what my strengths were and she leveraged those. I had never felt like my full potential had been tapped up until that point. And I felt like through the course of that summer, she was capturing that. And the thing that was interesting to me is I had very different strengths than my coworker and she managed us very differently. So I, I've got a lot of really strong execution strengths. And so my manager would just pile it on me, which I loved. I thrived in that. If she had done that with my coworker, my coworker probably would have wilted. 
And so my manager very much individualized her management towards each of us. And, and the, because of that, I had a, a really phenomenal experience. Oh, I love that. Talk about being a rock star manager and being able to serve each person the way they need to be addressed. I love it. All right. And where can people learn more about you, take the assessment, keep up with your work, all that good stuff? Yeah, the best place is my website. That's ryangottfordson.com. And uh, you can find the assessment there, my book there. I have a bunch of freebies that go along with the book. So go and check those out. And then the second best place is probably to connect on LinkedIn. Would love to do so. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and walking me through. I feel like I now have some greater insight on my own fears and my my own issues, especially related to this book, which I'm making a, an oral commitment right now to all of you who are listening that this book is going to come out sometime in the next year or two, and I'm going to uh, share all the things that I've been researching and learning with everyone. I love it. Thanks for your vulnerability. I, I kind of put you on the spot. So thanks for uh, being a good client, I guess. <laughs> I'll take guinea pig. That's okay. There we go. That's a better word. Ryan has offered a free collective mindset report for one member drawn at random from the Modern Manager community. This report, which is worth $1,500, provides you with information on the quality of your current culture and mental lenses of the leadership and employees in your organization. You must be a member by September 1st, 2020 to qualify. Go to themodernmanager.com slash join to learn more and become a member. And of course, you get to join us on Slack when you do. Don't forget, I've also got an upcoming program on communication, support, and accountability for managers, which is called the Modern Manager's Guide to Effective Delegation. The program launches on August 11th and members get 20% off. You can learn more about the program and register at themodernmanager.com slash courses. As always, all the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.